Hello and welcome to the New to Canada podcast, the show to ease your expat overwhelm and be inspired by other newcomers' stories. I am your host, Kate Johnson, and I made the big move from England to Canada in 2017 after falling in love with a Canadian. Join me as I chat with fellow expats and share their unique challenges, triumphs and revelations as they build their new lives here. It's great to have you. In this episode, I was so excited to sit down with the wonderful Carla Briones. When her family decided that the drug cartels in Mexico were getting out of control and security was non-existent, they packed up a U-Haul and made the long drive to Canada. And then my older brother, my mom and I were the ones that were in the U-Haul, but because my dad's a vet, we had a lot of animals. <laughs> oh, <laughs> So that's why gosh. we also needed to do the U-Haul because we had a dog, we had a cat. So I traveled for, I think it was like, it took us like five or six days. So it took us like almost a week to, try, to drive up through like, we could, like throughout the States in a U-Haul. I was sitting in the middle with a cat on my lap the entire trip. It was so freaking hot. I remember it was so hot because the U-Haul did not have air conditioner and did not have a radio. Today, Carla uses her parents' story of unwavering perseverance to fuel her own entrepreneurial life. With 10 years of business experience in retail, food and more, she now helps other immigrants in Canada achieve their business dreams. I promise you'll finish this episode the most inspired you've ever felt. Let's start the show. Okay, so thank you so much for joining me, Carla. It's great to have you. It's great to be here. Thanks, Kate. It's just such an inspiring story, and I just can't wait to share it with everybody. So I want to, for first off, I want to focus a little bit on your country of origin. Um, So you're originally from Mexico. I want to learn everything about this country. So where in Mexico are you originally from? So I'm originally from the north of Mexico, from a town called Chihuahua. So that's where the little dog comes from. Oh, nice. They're just roaming the streets there? or <laughs> Kind of. <laughs> Not really, but there's lots of Chihuahuas in Chihuahua. And it's in the north of Mexico. So it's like center, north, 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 bordering with El Paso, Texas. So we actually have a border border town there. Oh, great. Yeah. So what's what's it like there? Is it a city? Is it built up? Is it more countryside? Uh, so I grew up in the city. So I grew up in the capital of the state. The state is called Chihuahua and the capital is Chihuahua. Mm-hmm. Um, so Chihuahua is like a, it's actually quite a large town. It's like about a, about a million people in there. So it is a, it is a, you know, it is a large city, uh, kind of like Ottawa. I'm now living in Ottawa. So it's kind of like the Ottawa size in terms of population. In terms of uh, land is much smaller, like everything is more, you know, like closer together yeah so it, it has the city fit the city the city feel or the city look but it's really much as like it's it's a small town like everybody knows everybody and everybody knows each other so oh that's lovely yeah it's the desert too like super hot in the summer doesn't rain a drop during the summer and then super cold in the winter it, it snows in the winter. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I had no idea. That's that's yeah. so funny. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you were you prepared then coming to Canada? You kind of had the both extremes. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> <laughs> because it's dry there, right? So it's like a dry desert heat. And then winter, winter, I mean, it is cold. It snows, but it doesn't stay on the ground like in Canada. Right. Similar to England then. Yeah, yeah. I had no Okay, amazing. That's cool. So what's your favorite Mexican traditions? What's what's something that you miss about the culture there? What can you share about life there in general mm. and the people? And Wow. So in terms of Mexican traditions, I love, well, I'm, 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 I'm lucky because I came with my parents. So a lot of the traditions, we try to keep them alive as, as alive as possible here. Mm-hmm. But I think one of the traditions that I really miss, uh, like, sharing it with friends and whatnot is Christmas. So Christmas is huge, huge. At least it was in my family and in, in with my friends and everything. Um, and Christmas over there is like, you know, it's extended family and friends of the extended family. And I remember one Christmas there were like, I don't know, something crazy, like 50 people in my, in my house. And it's just like a huge party and you, and it's not on Christmas day. It's Christmas Eve. Oh, okay. Yeah. So the party actually starts at like, mm, 
maybe like eight o'clock at night. That's when you start. Oh, great. It's like 48 hours straight of just festivities and family and oh, amazing. Yeah. And then there's like, uh, there's a celebration where um, there's some sung like pil- pilgrimage song, like kind of like kind of religious, but then there's like the pinata and it's like everybody's singing and it's just a big party. And I miss that because we came here as just as a unit, as a family unit. So all of a sudden we like our first Christmas year in Canada was like, oh my God, where's everybody? Yeah. It was just the, 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 the five of us. Cause I have two brothers. So quiet, so <laughs> really cold, depressing. so bland and bleak. <laughs> so- oh my gosh. Yeah. That's one thing I noticed. I, so I went to Mexico last year for the first time Ooh. and I absolutely loved it. So I went to Sayulita. Oh, which, Sayulita. So yeah, nice. Sayulita. And it's like a dream down there. Oh, it really is. Yeah. I was walking the streets and you have those, you know cobblestone streets with all those multicolored flag bunting that, that covers the whole streets I had the best tacos I've ever had in my life there street vendors everywhere oh, so it's just yeah I completely can see what you're, you're talking about like the color and the energy of the people and, and the food and the music oh, a dream. amazing <laughs> that's know. awesome so the first sentence of the biography that you sent me, we could easily fill our entire interview slot with just me asking <laughs> you about that. So you were 18 years old when you and your family drove from Mexico to Canada, right? We did. We certainly did. Why did you make that move? Um, it wasn't really my choice. It was more uh, back when we immigrated. Well, Mexico has always had a very unstable political environment. Um, mm-hmm. And... My brother had actually finished high school a few years back and he ended up going to France and he, it was the first time that he had left the country or like not the country, but he had gone abroad, like to Europe mm-hmm. and uh, first time like seeing new world. And he came to Chihuahua, which is like a desert town in the middle of Mexico. And he's <laughs> like, what the hell are we doing here? And the, the political unrest, was just getting worse the cartels you know in the north of mexico you see the cartel um you know episodes on netflix that that that's Mm. it's 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 so real no exaggerations for hollywood or anything it's not an exact exactly it's not an exaggeration so how do you know that it's not safe is it just you watch the news or is it you're seeing violence on you know a weekly basis day-to-day basis what all of the above like you i watch the news i see the violence my friends that are still down there they all want to leave and there's not a lot of like uh, stability there's no financial stability there's no there's just no stability in that area too. Also, it's a border town. Um, yeah. When my brother came back from France, he's like, there is a bigger world out there. Why Why are we staying here? Because there's not a big future for us if we stay here. So it was actually my brother. And my wow. dad's like, okay, but I'm not going to move a finger. I'm not going to do all of the paperwork. <laughs> so my brother ended up doing all of the paperwork. And then he comes back one day to, uh, to my dad with a pen and all these paperwork and he said well can you move two fingers just to sign here and then my dad's like fine so he signed and paid and like did the process and we actually ended up getting accepted as landed immigrants I think after after a year and a half after my brother started that process wow yeah the immigration things can just drag on for so long that's really impressive even more so now yeah it took us it took a year and a half to from beginning to end like to actually get our our like the visa to immigrate mm-hmm. um yeah and then we just like we're like my parents were like, oh, like okay so i guess we're moving because my parents it's are happening people it's happening and my dad's uh he, he's an entrepreneur so he had his uh, veterinarian hospital in mexico so he had to sell it and we had our home like they were like in their late 40s they were 48 and 46 my mom and my dad so they had already, you know, established the roots and they had their friends and they had their social circle and they had their business and they had a life. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, all right, let's sell everything and let's go. That's amazing. They they have so much faith in your brother then because they hadn't seen France. They hadn't seen what he's talking to them about. So, wow, he must have. He's yeah. just such a trailblazer opening, you know, eyes. And-, and it was also like the situation was getting bad. Right. So I think my parents saw that it was true. Like there was like, if they wanted to give us a better future, they had to, to, to do some sacrifices, which I'll forever be helpful for uh, help, uh, 
thankful, sorry, to my parents for that. And then, yeah, so one day is like, okay, then let's sell the clinic. Let's sell like everything that we own in our house with the exception of a few things. And we're going to rent a U-Haul. <laughs> And we're going to drive up because there's too many of us and there's no way we could afford a, you know, plane tickets for everybody. And there's five of you, right? Just crammed in this little U-Haul truck. Oh my gosh. And you have two brothers. I have two brothers, but no, my dad and my middle brother, the one that went to France ended up coming here before us. Like they, okay. they were like trailblazing for a couple of months before. And then my older brother, my mom and I were the ones that were in the U-Haul, but because my dad's a vet, we had a lot of animals. <laughs> Oh, so that's why we also needed to do the U-Haul because we had a dog, we had a cat. So I traveled for, I think it was like, it was like five or six days for like 13 (laughs) hour drive. It was crazy. Like a Noah's Ark on wheels. (laughs) Yeah. And it was in the middle of the summer because I arrived on uh, July 14th into Canada. So it took us like almost a week to to drive up through like, we cut like throughout the States in a U-Haul. I was sitting in the middle with a cat on my lap the entire trip. It was so freaking hot i remember it was so hot because the u-haul did not have air conditioner and did not have a radio oh what the two main things you need for a I long know. road trip i know it only had a, a am station like am like it, it didn't have fm it just had the oh, perfect just what you want <laughs> <laughs> that's great it really pumps you up for the life change you're doing yeah it was an adventure that's for sure when you have so much time to think about it, I just keep thinking you're in this car for five days and there's so much time to to think about all the things that are waiting for you in this new place you're going to. And I am such an overthinker. I can only imagine you're sitting there stewing and everything. Uh, were you really nervous? Were you anxious or were you completely pumped and just you wanted the journey to go quicker? I think I was more excited than anything else. Um, I think my parents were getting their pants. <laughs> yeah, that I'd be surprised if it wasn't. I think my parents were the ones that were more concerned because uh, when my dad came first, he re- quick, very quickly realized that he couldn't practice here as a vet. And we started all or he started all or my brother started all the application process under the assumption that he my dad, I mean, you know, well-trained professional in the medical field was going to be able to get a job. And that's far from the truth. Unfortunately, that's the reality of an immigrant is that all of a sudden you almost start from scratch. Mm -hmm. So I think my parents were more concerned about that. And I was more excited about the adventure. I had just finished high school. I had got accepted into Carleton university here in Ottawa. So for me, it was like, Oh my God, this is like the best thing ever. Um, also, because my friends from high school well, were like very few were going to stay in town. Like some were going to universities in bigger cities in um, in Mexico. Others were going abroad. So for me, it was like, OK, cool. Like I'm also in the cool, you know, cool adventure of going somewhere different and not staying in, um, in the town that I'm in or that I was from. So, yeah. So I think I was more excited than definitely my parents were. Mm-hmm. And then I guess when you arrived and you started seeing that it, it wasn't going to be as easy as you initially thought as a family, um, you know, your dad was really successful in Mexico. What did your mom do? Well, that's another one, right? So I think every immigrant, well, I'm generalizing, but a lot of immigrants, we go through this roller coaster. We arrive to Canada and we're on a high, like everything yeah. is beautiful, particularly coming from a town like where I'm from, where it's like the desert, there's like nothing and all of a sudden you come to this land of water and green and luscious vegetation yeah. and it's like oh my god this I'm, I'm i landed in a dream so i like everybody we were all in the honeymoon stage and we arrived in the summer oh perfect timing <laughs> i turned up in the height of winter it was the worst oh okay no no we, <laughs> we just sometimes sometimes i think it's better because oh my god like because so so we we were in the height of our roller coaster like going up and we're like hey everything is beautiful and everything is awesome and it's so like everybody's so polite and everything is like so nice and so we all had and then you you it takes you about a couple of months to really kind of get your bearings and find a place and and you come in with a bit of a nest egg like that the government requires landed immigrants to come with um i think it's about can't remember what it was but it was almost like at least a year's worth of of nest eggs so that you can sustain yourself in case you can't find work which is smart so you don't feel the financial constraint right away it doesn't hit you as bad 
But then after three months, mm-hmm. when you're settled in, the honeymoon is like kind of now, now reality is hitting. And now the reality is hitting that uh, my dad can't find a job in his field. My mom was um, department head in a private school in Mexico, so a teacher. So she comes here. She can't practice as a teacher. She needs to, if she wants to practice as a, as a teacher in Canada, she needs to basically go back to school. So, so my dad, I always, I joke, I can laugh now and my dad can laugh now, but it's like, we lived your typical immigrant experience. Like the ones that you read in the news and in the books where we, my dad didn't drive a cab because the gas station called first. So that was his first job. He was selling uh, not gas station, but like the gas company, like gas contracts from door to door. That that was his first job. Mm-hmm. Anything to kind of get some the elusive Canadian experience. Ah, it's old. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The leprechaun. Doesn't matter if you're selling gas contracts from door to door. It's Canadian experience. Yeah. And you need Canadian experience to get Canadian experience sometimes, exactly. right? That's that's so that's a struggle I had. You know, where's your Canadian experience? Well, I'm trying to get Canadian experience. If you could give me a chance to get it, and then Exactly. Yeah, it can be really frustrating. Yeah, and then my mom started uh, started um, cleaning homes. <laughs> like we lived your typical experience. Like my dad was selling gas contracts from door to door. Then my mom started cleaning homes, and my dot my dad ended up um, doing his uh, Canadian securities and started selling. Now instead of gas contracts, he started selling insurance. But here is this guy who's only been a vet in his entire life and who has twenty years experience in owning his own veterinarian hospital. Yes. Selling gas or insurance, it's something that he's never done in his life. But I mean, you do what you, you do what you got to do at the end of the day. And- exactly, and I think it speaks a lot to the the leap that that immigrants have made. You know, if he had a, a choice, I'm sure you know he would love to still be his successful role in in his hospital. But the fact that yeah. he still thinks that that life in Canada is a better option for him and his family, it's such a, a misconception that you know. It's yeah, it's really tough seeing your parents struggle to adapt in that way. Um, yeah, how was their English? Did you have to step up in a lot of ways? Or so my parents. So my mom was an English teacher in Mexico, so her English was good, but she oh, was an good. elementary English teacher. Um, my dad, uh, he's very well educated and and he's perfectly bilingual. Uh, my English was good. It was kind of like high school English. You know, like when you go to, like, let's say in England, you take French. Mm-hmm. So it's like that kind of French. How to order in a restaurant. Exactly. And- <laughs> I heard a university here in Canada, journalism of all things. Oh, my God. So that was a struggle. But anyway, when my dad was selling uh, insurance, he had to do a lot of phone calls. He actually, like, hired me. <laughs> he's like no no I need I need a female voice and I need someone that sounds friendly and who's like doesn't that like I need I need you like can can you can you do the calls for me so wow. I would go and and I help him do the the calls and like try to sound like to try to get rid of my accent so that people would like would trust me so that I could help my dad sell contract like sell um insurance so that there could be food on the table so yeah, there was there was a lot of humility <laughs> situations that my dad had to my dad, like the main breadwinner, the, you know, the sole, like not the sole provider, like a big provider in our family back in Mexico. All of a sudden he's looking at his, you know, 19 year old daughter saying help. Oh, wow. It was very humbling. And it and you're right. Like I, I grew up, I mean, I was already 18, so I was older. But in Mexico, if you're an 18 year old, usually very traditional lifestyle where you're 18, you live at home, you don't leave home until you're married. So and then your parents provide as much as possible for you to not have to work and finish your studies. So it's like a very sheltered um, Mm. way of raising your kids. And all of a sudden, here I am at 19 years old, I'm like helping my dad, I have three jobs so that I can put food on the table too. Cause if my mom lost her job, my dad, you know, lost his job. Yeah. You're just more, more like a team. That whole hierarchy of a family is just, is just completely yeah. deconstructed. Yeah. That's. And then in Mexico, I don't know in England, but in Mexico, like 
in also old school generations, we don't talk about our feelings. So my parents would never talk about their feelings. Like everything's right. fine. And they want to, you know, show like, you know, they're, they're in control. But then at night I would hear like my dad crying or I would hear oh, my mom no. crying. And it's like, my God, what do I do? I don't know how to deal with these feelings things. Yeah. And did you ever discuss going back ever? Or was it just yes. never an option? Oh yeah. There were points that, that my dad's like, what the hell are we doing here? What the hell are we doing here? Cause his first break was when he actually got hired as a dog groomer. That was his first break. Wow, the foot in the industry. The foot in the industry. And <laughs> a toe, he, maybe a toe. <laughs> he's like also the dog whisperer. Like dogs that are really, really aggressive respond very well to Like he's alpha. Like he's totally alpha. Mm-hmm. So dogs that are really aggressive just kind of submit to him. And he's able to do whatever with dogs that are super aggressive. So he, that was a selling point, right? When he went to a grooming shop, like I can deal with aggressive dogs. Give me all the aggressive dogs in the world and I'll groom them. No problem. So very quickly, he gained that notoriety here in Ottawa, and he was sort of like the aggressive dog groomer. Oh, amazing. And that fell on his lap, or he... No, he had to knock under. He was, like, so sick and tired of selling. Like, he's not a guy. Like, he's not an insurance guy at all. And, uh, yeah, he's like, I need to find... I need to go back to the industry, and if I can be a vet, at least can I be a groomer? And then there would be groomers that would turn him down because they'd be like, you're overqualified. You're a veterinarian doctor. How is that a thing? Yeah. I mean, if the dog drops dead in the grooming table, then you've got the right guy doing the grooming. That's the thing. He would would apply for all of these pet grooming, uh, vet technicians, and they'd be like, you're overqualified. And he's like, just give me a chance because... I'm overqualified, but then for the jobs that I'm qualified for, I don't have the qualifications, Canadian qualifications for, and then I don't have the Canadian experience. Like somebody give me a chance. And then exactly. his, his break was the grooming, the grooming shop. That it's always really strange to me. Obviously, it, there is some understanding in it in a way that there's Canadian standards that are set for, for things like that. And they want to make sure that everyone has the right certifications and the right education so that their peace of mind is in somehow you know met but it's so frustrating you have all these amazingly talented amazingly smart you know educated immigrants and you're just not you're wasting it they Mm. they could be building your country they could be you know really opening hospitals like we'll get into that your dad's now eventually done in Canada it's just it's such a slow process to really make the most of all of the skills that are coming into your country and they want to do these things it's mm-hmm. just it's crazy to me I know the brain gain that Canada goes through every single year when they admit hundreds of thousands of immigrants like the gain the brain gain because everybody talks about the brain drain you know, and new grads going to the States or going to abroad or whatever, the brain gain that Canada has is unreal. Like no other country is just for some reason, they haven't been able to crack that, that nut and see how, well, no, I think it's getting better. No, no, no. I, I should tell them that. They, 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 they are getting better. It's just slow. Mm-hmm. So my dad ended up uh, saving enough money to start his, cause he didn't, he didn't really need to start school he could he was able to just present his boards like straight go to the examination the board examination which was like a two no a four part exam over three different days and it because Ottawa doesn't have a vet school he had to travel either to Wealth PEI Saskatchewan Mm-hmm. And um, he didn't, ha- he wasn't working in the industry. He was just a groomer and he started studying for these boards, but he didn't have the books. So he would try to go into the library and try to study. And then the first exam, he failed it, obviously. And so many barriers. Yeah. And there, it was, they were expensive. These tests are so expensive and there's a waiting list too. So he failed the first one. He failed the second one too. What, what point was this in the, in the journey of you being in Canada? How long did it take to get to that point? three years four years yeah so much patience and yeah yeah, you just must have so much respect for him and And for my mom my mom was uh like she was cleaning homes and she's like I've always I've I've always been interested in the health industry and I've always been interested in the laboratory like lab work so she ended up going back uh to school so we were both I was in university. We were studying together. We were studying partners. Oh, that's so fun. You were studying journalism. You were working all these part-time jobs to help your family. Your mom was also going to school with you. Your dad was knocking on doors, selling insurance. Yeah. Just such such a hardworking 
yeah, such such a crazy journey to even just try and get that dream life that you envision for yourself. So yeah. yeah. So seeing all of all of these challenges unfold, I'm guessing this played a huge part in why you're so hardworking and ambitious today. Yeah, I mean, because at the end of the day, they taught me that if you want something, you just work for it, right? And I saw it, like I was, I, I was a witness of all of that hard work and that, you know, like, don't take no for an answer. My dad, again, he failed his fourth exam uh, by one point. Oh. It was one point. And it was like, he was crying on the phone with the person that gave him the, 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 um, the results. And the person on the phone said, listen, you can't tell anybody I'm telling you this, but you only failed by one point. You can contest this because the part that you failed was very subjective. Oh, what an angel to to tell him that, just to give him a glimmer of hope. Oh. Yeah, and in that in that exam, uh, it was like the last chance, or else we were going back, or he was going back. And uh, that test, because they're really expensive, I paid for it. Between, actually, between my brother and I, we paid for it. We were working and like saving our tips and whatever. He didn't want to take the test anymore, and we're like, no way, you're taking this for test because you're taking it, and we're gonna. He's like, I don't have any money. It's like don't worry about the money. We'll figure it out. So between my brother and I, we work like that summer, like crazy. Uh, we're working in a restaurant and we're saving our tips and everything. And we pay for that exam. And he was so ashamed to tell us that he had failed. Oh no, that's even more pressure. Yeah. And, and he ended up, that's a, that this story, like, but I didn't re- find out about this until much later. He only had enough money to pay for a hostel because he didn't, couldn't afford a hotel. He was in Saskatchewan in like March or something like that. He had uh, enough money just to, uh, he brought like cans of tuna with him. So that was, he was eating the three days that he was there and he had money to get from the airport to the hostel. And then he could walk from the hostel to the university where they would do the exam. But then he didn't realize that after the exam, he needed to go to the airport and he didn't have money for the calf or the airport. So he walked in, in March, which is freezing in March for three hours with his luggage to the airport so that he could take his fly because he had forgotten to budget, budget. For, for the the cab ride from the university to the airport he made it and then he comes home he finds out that he didn't pass it but then the lady's like it's one point and it was a very subjective part you can contest it he did and then like three days later the same lady calls him and he's like you're in you got your you got your license oh that moment 45 minutes after that call he got a job as a doctor oh. Wow, that's all you need to go through. Three years of... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, wow. And yeah, he must just be so grateful to you and to your brother. And yeah, wow, what an inspiring story. And to have somebody that doesn't give up, you know, there's so many people, myself included probably, if I had that much hardship for that much, that long of a time and you just keep failing, at what point are you supposed to just turn around and be like, look, this isn't working. Like, this maybe isn't, isn't the right dream for me. We didn't let him. <laughs> we did not let him. <laughs> That's a good family. Wow. So getting to you then. So you've obviously from that experience, you know, to work hard and to put your dreams and make it a reality. So you are a serial entrepreneur with successful businesses in retail, food, beverage, online, which we will get into all the details really soon. But but first, I just want to talk quickly about your beautiful family. So your husband, Sean, is he Canadian? Yes, he is. He's from Ottawa. So two children later. So Carmen and Nayeli. Am I saying that Nayeli, right? yeah. Nayeli, amazing. So I'm always interested in the origins of names. So I read that it means I love you I in love the language. You. Yeah. yeah, good for you. Zapotec Indians of Mexico. Yes, yeah, Zapoteca, yeah. So in that language, it means I love you. I love that. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I did my little research. Awesome. I think that's awesome. Um, I'm assuming you're passionate about instilling some of their Mexican roots into them, you know, making sure that they understand where they're from. Um, have you made trips back with them at all? What have you oh, done? Yeah. yeah, I try to go at least once a year. Um, I don't end up going back to my hometown just because it's not safe, unfortunately, because it's, mm-hmm. a, again, a border town. And I just, it was really, really, really hot. Uh, hot as in, like, um, violence. Um mm-hmm. 
I just don't want to take my chances with the kids. I mean, as a mom, you start becoming very like protective of your children. So I end. So usually I go to the Oaxaca region, which is the east southeast of Mexico. And um, so that's where I take them. Oh, great. To this little town called uh, Huatuco, uh, Huatulco, which is a beach town. Very, very tiny beach town. It's not like the crazy party atmosphere. It's just like a very natural beach town. And that's where we, we've been going to every year, every year. Actually, last year in July, I, I, we went for the entire month and I put them in summer camps there. So they were with local. Oh, wow. Yeah. yeah. So you've really thrown them into oh, it. Yeah. And they've experienced everything they can. And so your kids have their own businesses too. What? Tell me about that. How did that happen? Uh, they said the worst thing you can tell to a parent. Uh, mommy, I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> was this a COVID thing? Were they bored during COVID or is this way? No, way no, no. This was like three, four years ago. They're like they were little. They have their own like uh, vegan cookie business. So. <gasps> Fun. Oh my yeah. God. And they're so lucky to have a business expert mom as well. That's got to help things. <laughs> Yeah, so going back then to um, helping your parents open their business in Canada, um, you played you know a vital part in that and helped them grow that business after years of struggling. Um, was that your first experience of helping people start a business? Did that spark your passion for helping people build dreams? Or interesting because that that wasn't it. So my uh, so we were very much part, or I was very much part of that business. We were like laying down floors and knocking down. It was an exciting part or an exciting time when finally my dad was able to to get that dream again here in Canada. So you're building a veterinarian hospital for your dad to own and run. Yeah. After probably two years of him getting his license, he said, that's it. Like I want to own my own thing. And he opened it with only $8,000. He got very creative, like, mm-hmm. really creative. Um, but we did a lot of like a lot of elbow grease. Like it was us who knocked down walls. It was us who built up the floors, the counters, everything. It was so cool. But I was working because I graduated from journalism and then I was working in public relations uh, in Toronto, actually. And I had a really good job. Like I was a six figure baby by 24 and I was doing really well. And but then like entrepreneurship, like and especially when you're so ingrained into it and so inspired by your parents and after so much struggle, you see that it's it's almost like it's contagious, right? That like you're like, oh. yes, it's already contagious with talking to you. I've been on a phone call with you for half an hour and I'm already like, <laughs> what can I do? I'm so inspired. Yeah. <laughs> so then one day I remember I was like my parents had had the business for like a year or so and I'm in my office in Toronto and then I'm like, you know what, guys, I think I don't want to stay in this industry because uh, I don't see myself doing this long term or for the rest of my life. It's great. I make really good money, but I don't it's not I feel that I can give more. And then um, and then I, I just kind of found myself saying, you know what, all I want to do is to open up a pet store. And then there was silence. My parents only replied. And it was almost like simultaneously. They were like, so why don't you? Right. Okay. That was their answer. Yeah. What's the excuse here? What are you, what are you saying? Yeah. And I'm like, it just hit me like a ton of bricks because I experienced their struggles. I, you know, like they went through so much to be where they are right now. Like I was participant of, of their ups, their downs. They were finally have their business and here I am you know little 24 year old me who's complaining that I don't want to see myself in the six you know figure paying job and all I want to do is open and they're like seriously like like they went through so much to give you you know the gift of choice you have all of these doors that you can open for yourself now because of what they gained what they did and what they did for you so yeah so so, so I'm like all I want to do is open up a pester so why don't you like what's stopping you? Like <laughs> you have all of these opportunities in front of you and all like we move to give you choices and to give you the opportunity to do with your life, whatever the hell you want and to not suffer as much as we did or go for it. Like, what do you need from us? Like now they became like the biggest supporters. And then, you know, like I, I hang up for the phone for my parents and I'm like calling my husband and I'm like, Sean, Sean, do you want to open up a pet store? <laughs> like literally a year and a half later, we were opening up our, our, our first pet store. Does he love that? Or is that kind of a, he's know- learned to not hate it. <laughs> <laughs> that's the hazard of being married to someone that's, you know, addicted to entrepreneurship and, you know, yeah. passions and ambitions and, 
wow he doesn't know he could the phone rings and it could just be a new it's idea like, that you're no, it's, it's not the phone it's now it's like the middle the elbow in the middle of the night the light bulb's gone on you're like oh i have to tell you yeah i know because it's like at two in the morning i'm like sean sean and he's like what i'm like let's open up a restaurant and he's like, are you nuts? I'm like, no, look, like there is the opportunity for like the vegetarian vegan market and the fast food casual industry. There is nothing in Ottawa we can oh, have. Yes. So we can have a restaurant and it's freshy actually. So we can have freshy and it's like affordable and it's, we know the neighborhood now. We know business now. So how hard can it be? Famous last words. Oh yeah. Yeah. The restaurant industry is another monster, <laughs> a completely different monster. So is that a franchise then? You it is. opened up the franchise of for freshy i love freshy and i always order the i'm definitely saying this like disgustingly wrong oh you said it before me so i don't have to be embarrassed I know, I know. <laughs> yeah. Oaxaca. Oaxaca bowl. yeah i definitely say oxaca that's terrible oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good though it's so good yeah. but i'm sure when you have recipes like that are you looking at that saying well that's not right they should add more oh totally they call that mexican food like what is this oh i know <laughs> the salsa recipe i'm like reading it and i'm like you oh, don't no. put sugar in salsa. <gasps> so of course you do. You're in Northern America. <laughs> I hope they don't listen to this, but I don't put sugar even though I'm supposed to put sugar. And I'm like, just put some more cilantro and let's put Ooh, a yeah. bit more salt. And <laughs> Yeah. Oh great. That's great. That's so cool. So you own so you have one freshie store. Yeah. And you have two pet stores? Yeah. And then uh, I ended up opening, which I sold my shares, um, an e-commerce site to sell uh, that where I was selling like one of a kind um, Mexican fashions, like slow fashion. Ooh, cool. Like embroidered shoes that are just like really like embroidered uh, leather purses. It's just they're just works of art, but it's slow fashion. And that stemmed from a huge earthquake that happened about three or four years ago in Mexico. And um, the local women, the artisan women needed a lot of support because they couldn't sell their wares because of the earthquake. So I went there, I met them, and then I brought some of the stuff and then I did uh, the um, online. So that was really cool. So how the biggest question for me is... I suffer a lot with imposter syndrome, you know, where you have this idea, but then you're thinking, oh, well, no one's going to care about what I have to say. No one's going to buy it. No one's going to listen. No one's going to care about what I'm doing. And I'm not qualified enough. And I should learn more about it before I do it. And I don't have enough money. And there's all this little voice that you have in your head that you just can't get rid of. So did you ever have that? Or are you just you know throw it in the wind and see <laughs> oh yeah i named that voice my 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 voice is called the itty bitty shitty committee uh-huh, <laughs> that itty bitty shitty committee comes like to this date right like it's still there but you fake it till you make it totally yeah and i think the big thing is like nobody actually dissects what you're doing that much like nobody's sitting there all day and being like what's kate doing now and she's oh she's doing that and judging me because they have their own worries and their own families and their own stress that they're dealing with so it's really strange it's such a strange syndrome but you know what's what's really cool um and i've only learned this recently because i've suffered from the imposter syndrome and mom guilt and all of the beautiful things oh yes we can go through that but um it's surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals that are risk takers and that because a lot of the times if you're like surrounded well not with my family but if you're surrounded by friends who are not entrepreneurial um that are perfectly happy with their nine to five which there's nothing wrong with that either but you almost have to go out of your way to find your tribe of fellow risk takers I love that of fellow um you know try fast fail fast and then iterate until you actually get it and support back and somebody like a safe tribe that gets you like that gets oh shit, yeah I know like it's so hard today but you know what like let's let's get on social media and let's do the post or whatever and then let's comment on each other and let's lift each other up so for me it's only about really only about maybe two years ago that I realized I need to I need to stop with this little head and I need to surround myself with other people that I can relate to at that level mm-hmm. that can we that we could potentially give each other like 
energy and we can absolutely and it's so simple too you think about it you know if you're surrounding yourself with people that are you know more hesitant and they oh I'm so cautious what are you talking about you're really brave to do that and then you start second guessing things it's it's so simple you need to surround yourself with the people that are gonna kick you up the butt and encourage you and be super excited or, you. or you're gonna be I'm telling you like entrepreneurship is contagious so you surround yourself with other ones and you're like oh my god like look at what he did that's awesome and you can share ideas and then those people because they're the same type of people they have so many connections so you know people that you would never have had a connection with and now you know oh I need help with PR oh I know this great PR person it's just it can snowball from there yeah that's really cool yeah so for me that's that and and it can go both ways because all of a sudden you'll see like like super successful people that have done it like super fast and whatever. And they're like, Oh man, I suck. I haven't been able to, but then, you know, you kind of have to give yourself a pep talk and say, snap out of it. Like, you know, like let's, let's just hustle. Let's keep hustling. And then let's keep just building those relationships and building that network that, that can lift you up. Yeah. So where do you recommend going to build relationships like that and to find people that are like-minded? Uh, well, depends on the industry that you're in, right? Like there's a lot of association there's a lot of like, well, it's COVID, so it's a bit harder. Mm-hmm. Uh, but LinkedIn is awesome for that. Depends if you're a creator um, or a creative. Uh, Instagram is amazing for that. Like you can find some really cool relationships on Instagram. Uh, meetup, you can do like a whole bunch I of love meetup. meetup. Yeah, meetups mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, if you're into entrepreneurship, depending on what type of entrepreneurship, like there is the enterprise centers in your local area where they have uh, workshops, courses, and they have like advisors and they have a community build up. Uh, if you can afford it, co-working spaces are amazing too, to expand that network of like-minded entrepreneurs um, that can't necessarily afford like a full-time space, but they join together in a co-working space and then you can like you know, meet other ones. Um, Where else? If you have like an actual bricks and mortar business, like the BIAs are great, the local chambers of commerce, like there's tons out there and like very like super basic, but also very good Facebook groups. Like they are amazing and they're so supportive too. And most of these things are free as well. Mm -hmm. There's so many options out there. You think, oh, it's so hard to meet people. And as adult, which it is, you know, when I first went, I went to my first meetup.com event and it's so scary. You just rock up there and you're thinking, oh my God, it's so awkward. But yeah, if you push through that, yeah, it's just, you got to put yourself out there if you want to be successful. It's uncomfortable at the beginning, but then... But then you kind of start getting used to it and then and then you start meeting people and then and then you get known in the industry. Yeah. So today you are using your 10 years of business experience to help immigrants in Canada become successful entrepreneurs, which is just so admirable. I mean, I love the whole hashtag immigration matters campaign that's going on with the uh, Canada government right now. You know, as we were saying earlier, immigrants have so much to give to the country to help it grow, create jobs, build the economy. So people like you that can help immigrants, you know, set a foundation for a business and and contribute in that way is, is amazing. So, you know, doing that is it can be so overwhelming, you know, even just sitting here and thinking, okay, I want to open a freshie store. You know, where do you start? What are the main areas of, to focus on? You know, what do you do when you sit down with an aspiring entrepreneur? Um, what's the first thing you tell them? The first thing I tell them is that it is doable. Like it is doable. It takes a lot of work. It's not easy. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to take a lot of work, um, but it is definitely doable. And the reason why I started this job is because when my dad ended up selling, like wanting to retire, um, and selling his clinic, I he hired me to sell the business. So when we were doing the due diligence, we realized that he made a catastrophical mistake at the beginning, 14 years ago. Okay, so we had to backtrack 14 years worth of accounting, 14 years worth of financials, for Yikes. 14 years of tax back payments, and all of that cost a lot of money that put his retirement in jeopardy. Wow, so all of that work. His retirement nest egg is not as big as he thought it was going to be and is not going to withhold my parents till the end of their time. So, and seeing that face of disappointment from my dad is like, had we had someone at the beginning teaching us how to do it properly, we wouldn't be in this situation 14 years later after everything we've been through. Was it something so simple too? You kind of just think, oh God, like if only we knew. Exactly. So it's very personal why I want to help immigrants is because I don't want to see another face like my dad made when I had to 
break the news. So to me in that moment, as like my worst business plan. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm <laughs> going to help other immigrants open up their business. I have no clue. And I started just being super vocal about it and talking every, every chance I had. I, I was deadly afraid of public speaking, by the way. Um, and every chance I had to like everybody, like if there was a, a symposium on immigration, I'd be like requesting to speak and to get on that stage because I need to bring uh, awareness of the fact that immigrants not only need to learn how to write a, a cover letter and a resume, they also need to learn how to write a business plan because a lot of these immigrants that are coming to Canada, they are entrepreneurs by nature. They already own businesses in their countries. Um, you know, we've already risk takers. We, we've made the biggest risk of our lives with living everything that we knew when we came to Canada, that opening a business is like peanuts. Right. So we just need to know how to do it right. And we just need the right supports. We need the right everything. And we, we need to establish programs that help other immigrants how to do them. And when I started doing this two years, almost three years ago now, there was nothing. And now it's the point where, there is starting to be awareness that there's some settlement agencies that are now actually um, introducing uh, immigrant entrepreneurship courses. I'm launching my Immigrant Entrepreneur Academy in September, um, which is an online 10 week academy to teach immigrants how to open the business and how to scale businesses. Amazing. Um, immigrant entrepreneurship is is now starting to be in the vocabulary of like general business talk because they're seeing the potential that if, yes. if you train an, an immigrant who's already is a, a risk taker, how to do it properly with a really strong foundation and how to scale it. My dad wanted to, uh, his idea here was to open a hospital and potentially franchise it. So become the franchisor. So actually have a chain of hospitals that he could sell. And it was totally in retrospect, totally doable. But he stayed a one-man shop because he didn't know how to do it. So if we're able to create aid systems where we train immigrants, not just how to open and operate, but also how to scale their businesses, can you imagine like the economic benefit? Oh, there's just no limit to it. Yeah, that's incredible. And to have somebody there like you, like you were saying, it's just, it's doable that you need that person there to just shake you sometimes and be like, look, this is not a pipe dream. This is something that's completely achievable. Mm -hmm. You just need to learn X, Y, Z. This is step one, two, three, just to take that initial overwhelm out of it. You know, I would have no idea, you know, a year or two ago, how to write a business plan that you mentioned when we were emailing that the immigrant mindset is sometimes to just shoot first and aim last, you know, yeah. there's no research involved. They're just kind of like, we have this idea, we've come to Canada, we're just going to do it, we'll try it out. And then that's where you see a lot of failure. So that support and yeah, that education is so important. And connections, because you come here with a very limited network, or sometimes zero, you don't know anybody. And a lot of our business is also who you know, right? So okay, who can, which lawyer can I trust? Which accountant can I trust? That's fantastic. So quickly tell me more about your um, academy that you're launching. So it's the Immigrants Developing Entrepreneurs Academy. So mm -hmm. the acronym is IDEA, which I absolutely think is genius. Um, so it's launching in September. Um, where can people find that? Yeah, so they can go to my website. So carlabriones.com slash idea and it's Carla with a K. Um, and yeah, so they can find more information there. It's a 10 week program. Um, so it's it's online learning. But then every week, there's a live call with myself and also an expert immigrant, a successful immigrant entrepreneur in the areas that we're taught that we're talking about. So we're talking about finances, or we're talking about funding, or we're talking about whatever area we're talking about, I actually have the network of successful immigrant entrepreneurs that are working in that industry, who are going to be able to answer questions, they can provide it in a way that is very compassionate, because they've been there. For sure. And to see it having been done that that just changes everything you know you think you have this crazy wild dream but you have somebody in front of you that's that's done it and has that achieved it that's so powerful that's amazing mm -hmm. um and then yeah I just want to touch on connecting with your audience because I think that's a big thing that people don't necessarily invest in as much you know your your online branding and your, mm -hmm. your personal branding so what is some advice that you can offer just to build up a sense of community around your brand and and what What's the importance of that? Uh, I think it's like connect first and sell later. Yeah. I think spend time in developing that really, that connection with your audience 
um, by sharing your own personal story, because you, you will be amazed at how many connections you can make by just sharing your own story. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, at the end of the day, people trust people. People don't trust a flyer. People don't trust a promotion. So in order for people to trust you, you need to, you need to show up as you are, share your story, share your history, share your ups and share, share your ups, but also share your downs because that's where you actually can relate to a lot of people. And then once the people start, start trusting you and start identifying with you, then it's easier to start developing than some sort of sales technique or whatever, mm-hmm. but, but sharing you and, and, and not being afraid of being vulnerable. Yes. And that's changed a lot. I think, you know, even 50 years ago, it was very stale. It was very corporate. It was, you know, this is my logo and this is my newspaper ad. And there was no faces to businesses. So it's completely different nowadays. And that can take a lot of adjusting if that's what people are used to. But yeah. And and also in developing countries, there's still very like I know in Mexico, for example, it's still very much like that. So when they come here, they they think that if they just put an ad, people are going to buy. And it's like, hmm. So it's a whole bunch of education about, no, you need to develop your personal brand. And it takes a while for them to understand. So that's social media, that's video content. I feel like video content's on the rise. You know, if you have a new business, you want to be going on video and and looking into people's eyes and telling them about it and telling them about you. So yeah, that's that's really valuable. Mm -hmm. And it really depends what you're comfortable with, right? Like I do, I feel more comfortable writing, for example. I know that my ideas flow way better when I write uh, but then also who is my audience what is my audience looking for what medium my audience is consuming so yeah lots to consider well thank you so much Carla for chatting with me today it's been really inspiring I'm sure everyone will agree with me Thanks. you really do make people feel like anything is possible I have this sign on my desk um, it says believe you can do anything and you will yes. um, I feel like that is even more true now I just have this fire in me I'm ready to go Woo! So. <laughs> awesome. thank you so much thank you so much Kate I really appreciate it Thank you so, so much for listening. As always, it would mean the world to us if you could leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening from. And then if you're loving the show so far, recommend us to your friends. Spread word and help us grow this exciting community. Until next week. Bye.